we went on for a little while and then we just couldn't go anymore. So we had a real estate agent come over. He's like, you need to sell your house and you need to do a short sale. And I'm like, what's that? And he's like, well, you owe too much. So I'm going to have to negotiate with the bank. Well, nobody really knew what they were doing back in 2008. The bank certainly didn't, right? I mean, the banks were in big trouble too. So he started negotiating the short sale. And I didn't really even know about foreclosure. I wasn't an agent. I didn't really know what any of that meant. Oh, okay. So you weren't even in the no, business I was back not then. an agent. And so it came to the point, and it wasn't any fault of my agent, short sales just took so long because the banks were overwhelmed. So I just thought if it's nobody cares about getting my household and preventing foreclosure more than me, I'm going to get my license. I was super motivated. I got it super quick. And I started negotiating my own short sale. And it was so funny because towards the end of this, the bank said, where's your real estate agent? Why isn't, you know, he calling? I'm like, because you've taken so long. I'm now licensed. That's how long you've been taken. (laughs) And I'd like to say I was super smart and that's how I got it closed because I knew all the tricks. No, I cried. Welcome to Rio Radio, episode 95 with Kim Stevens. You're listening to Rio Radio, the nationally trusted name in real estate investing. We dig deep to discover investors' why in real estate. If you want to skip all the BS and get in investors' heads, you're in the right spot. Be one of the thousands to check out RioRadio.com. Kim Stevens, episode 95. You guys are not going to be disappointed. Uh, I've actually known Kim. For well, actually, since I started doing real estate, when I first got into real estate, Kim was working with my now business partner Jerry Schlickburn as a realtor doing short sales. Uh, one of the top short sale agents in all of Nebraska, or the top short sale agent in all of Nebraska, doing out of the country investing. She's she's got a property in Belize. We're going to get into uh, and everything else. So if you interested in short sales. Just be prepared for what you're going to get in today's episode. What's cool about Kim is like she's obviously crazy knowledgeable about the agency side of things. So she's a she's a, a licensed realtor and broker and broker and has been doing this a long time. Like you mentioned, she kind of carved out a, a niche for herself as a short sale specialist and has helped out a ton, myself included, a ton of investors in uh, Omaha and surrounding markets with getting deals done that normally people walk away from. I just closed a deal with her actually for an out-of-state client. Yeah, I love that. So she's basically like, if you want to figure out how to go about taking down short sale deals, this is going to be one you do not want to miss. This is going to be a fantastic episode for you. But she's so much more well-rounded than that as well. Been in the industry a long time. What like Ted mentioned, she has invested out of st- or out of the country. Uh, her and her husband, who's a hilarious guy, also like they're just a cute, great couple. Like they're they're just a lot of fun. But uh, Kim is so knowledgeable, you guys. Like if you want to hear more about how to be a successful agent to work with investors, this is a great episode for you. If you want to learn more about short sales and foreclosures and what that process is like, how you can use that as part of your toolbox and investing, this is a great episode. If you want to just listen to a great person that's super knowledgeable about a lot of things in business and real estate, another great episode. Just You just tune in, people, and enjoy the ride here. 
here because this is going to be a lot of fun. Kim's just so bubbly and just a, a wonderful person to talk to. Every time you run into her, seems like she's in a good mood. I mean, I know she's not, but she hides it well. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I love Kim. Like a lot of shout outs to her. Like over the years, um, just every time I run into her, it's just fun. And she's so nice. You know, a funny thing is uh, we had Ziona McIntyre on a while ago, mm-hmm. and she referred a client to me here in town to find a short-term rental. And okay. so uh, Kim had a short-term rental on, on the market. And I was like, hey, Kim, it's just, you know, and I have a great relationship with her. And we were able to get the deal done and just totally went to bat for me. And uh, and now that, that client, which I got referred from Ziona McIntyre, so thank you, Ziona, uh, has now uh, got the short term up and going. And uh, fl- she flew into town, and, and it was just, it was kind of fun how, you know, these two podcasts, people we've had on podcasts, all to come together and we got a deal worked out. God, I can't wait until the profit sharing check arrives. Can you demo us? This is going to be so fun. What we're going to go out and spend it on. It's going to be awesome. BPCon 23, we're going to go spend it on. This is great. (laughs) Hey, Rio Radio, making connections across the U.S. and profit sharing. (laughs) Love profit sharing. Hey, I want to give a quick recap. Uh, So we had that Tanner uh, Gordon episode a few, uh, few weeks ago. And I, thanks to all the people that reached out to me about their concerns with my de- about the, my, the stroke you were having yeah. that day from all the stress. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, quite interesting. And I, I, I've had, like I said, I've had so many people reach out to me like, "Oh man, I felt like your your head is about to blow up." And uh, but uh, I wanted, I made, I made sure that that came out after the fact that I, I knew that we, all that was going to be resolved because I didn't want it to cause me any issues. But uh, we did get resolved. I did get that property refinanced. Um, it did. The inspector did have to come out two more times. Are you serious? Yeah, so they did, they did two more re- reinspects on that property. Oh and uh, But we did get it resolved that week uh, to finally conclude that nightmare of a deal. Huh. I feel like, okay, this is, all right, at the risk of a radio edit coming my way. Okay, and I don't want to go in down this rabbit hole again because we clearly covered more than enough of that yeah, on the yeah, episode. Yep. But... I feel kind of like some city inspectors are almost like prison guards. <laughs> like their attitude is like they are just waiting to catch you in something and get get you in trouble. And it's like a combative thing where why is it like that? I don't understand. They're just city workers, right? They're out to make sure that you're doing the right thing when you're putting a property together. That's It's as simple as that. But it's literally like this super uncomfortable, like, policing thing and i don't understand why why can't you if you're a city inspector just be like hey man um you know like this is how we we have to have it done and whatever they don't go out and like hold their breath and wait to catch you or try and catch you in something wrong or like you're not doing it right or whatever i think it's just devolved into this really combative relationship and i don't understand why it really shouldn't be like that and not all inspectors are like that yeah. That's that's true because uh, but I specifically like when that episode aired, I I had people reach out to me like oh man yeah I, every time I cringe when I get when I see the name Marty on the on the inspector you know list, and over and over that has that I've probably had fifteen people come up to me uh, specifically saying I sometimes I avoid buying deals if I see his name on on the on the window sticker. Do you think anyone has shared this episode with him? I don't know. Like anonymously maybe? Denless? Hopefully. Uh, that that's, <laughs> that would be very um, interesting to, to hear the results of that. You know when when you when you said just now that um it sounds like he has a vendetta against investors. I don't know what somebody probably Yeah, who did, did him something wrong? to his yeah. family, yeah. But 
the abuse of power tends to come to mind when I when I back home we used to um you know state of emergencies right when mm-hmm. when it the country is in disarray and they need to put something in place so the army in Trinidad is not as active as the army in America right well at least not as active because I really wanted, wars, I really can't wait think. to see where you're going with you're this. not fighting <laughs> a lot not fighting a lot of wars yeah we don't really fight in a lot of wars and all these things so so when Trinidad gets a state of emergency the army men have almost the same power as police officers okay so they get excited because they literally do nothing for however long until state of emergencies. They get a little, then, a little taste of power. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, oh, so yeah. Now, <laughs> so now they are like going on raids and stuff and, and like beating up people and, and like, like, yeah, no, it, it's, it's, it's bad. It's martial law. <laughs> exactly. But it's like they get so excited because they just never had anything to do and all of a sudden hey now i have something to do so they they just overdo it every single time they overdo it people get literally dragged on the ground yeah like and crazy so it's like the purge (laughs) literally so i'm just thinking like these these some of these inspectors they're just bored and every time they get an interesting project that they that they could probably pick apart and really Put it to somebody like really make their life a living hell. They would do it because it excites them in in some aspects. So I just comparing both of them like that. To, now. now to get now to give this specific inspector a little bit of credit, he was dealing with a contractor that didn't follow the rules. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, the, the, straight to my point. Yeah, like, my 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 contractor, you know, at, that I was hired didn't uh call in to get things inspected on timely as it as it should have gone mm-hmm. and i and i truly do feel if it was done properly that i wouldn't have dealt with most of any of this yeah it's well i mean there's two things one is like what's the saying you know power corrupts absolute power corrupts absolutely like mm-hmm. you get get a little taste of power to somebody that's not used to it and they go out and i'm not saying that he did that in your case but what you're describing is like he, you're guilty by association. True. So you hired the contractor, therefore you are also guilty, and you fall into that camp of not following the quote unquote rules for what they wanted to do. And now he is holding that over you, and is like, okay, well, you didn't do it before, so I'm taking this to the letter, mm-hmm. the whole rest of the way. Yeah. Because I guarantee, you know what I mean, I guarantee you, if he was on this podcast right now uh, in this conversation, he would have said something along the lines of. You know, if if it, you own the property, so you have to be responsible for the, the people you hire. You. Yeah, course, and yeah. you needed to make sure that your permits were taken care of, and you should be following up on this. Yeah. So, um, I speaking on his behalf, that's the only credit that I'm going to give him is that that's probably where the conversation went going. Now, sure. I I did you know I had a random. I, I don't know if I mentioned this before, but right after that, I had a random uh, inspection happen on on the outside of one of my. Uh, my property I bought that's I call it my grandma's house it's the house I grew up on and uh, all of a sudden I had a tree violation that came in and literally this is a probably a 12 foot high tree that's in uh, that's on the street and it is the most prune unovergrown tree on the whole street of this you know 150 year old street right and so I got a violation on it that I had to trim it up and it happened directly right after that. And I li- and I and I was there with uh, my contractor, and I looked down the street, and I go, I go, look at my tree, and look at every other tree around me and down the road. He goes, "Yep." 
you know, mine is the nicest looking and only trim tree in the whole thing. You know, and I and my exact response was, I go, you know what? If they don't want things to look pretty, let's just take it down, and I'm not going to deal with this. And so we just literally chopped the whole thing down, took it down, and I and moving on. I sent the picture in as I get it done, and let's move forward because I because obviously you're just trying to harass me, and I do not want to keep on dealing with this. Hmm. All right. Well, in the spirit of moving on. Let's uh let's <laughs> let's move on to a different topic. So our whole intro again isn't not not that it wasn't worthwhile because it was no no it, it could, was yeah yeah, yeah was, I, I just want to give an update yeah no uh so what okay we haven't done intros in a while so we're recording uh this one this one today a couple weeks later uh what have you been up to lately what's going on in your world good bad otherwise well a uh, couple things have happened is I I've, I've uh, purchased two properties okay. uh, and uh, so I purchased a duplex that's a uh, right by my other properties and uh it's in a very popular area called the little bohemian district and uh so got that going on gonna do renovation gonna hold it long term and then i i uh, bought my first flip house and had the flip done in about seven to nine days got that back in the market and to the point of this recording it has not sold yet surprisingly Mm -hmm. and i bought i'm at about 30k under arv in the neighborhood and um i asked for feedback on the 20 probably showings i had and everybody's like oh you know we you gave me some advice you like don't overdo it right you know there's a middle ground there where it looks too pretty Mm -hmm. and so we went into it like we did a massive clean out and the house is in pretty good shape and so you know we just did painting uh replaced all the light fixtures and uh and then uh, we had the deck had to get repaired. The deck was not safe to even stand on, so we did retop the whole deck. The framing was all good on it, so we we kept with that. And then did some pretty extensive yard work. Uh, there were a lot of overgrown trees, but the people that are coming in to see and are looking at are looking for like their their permanent home, where we really thought we'd get maybe some flippers and stuff in because we we left some money in the table. Uh, so we really thought we'd appeal to that. But uh, now, hang on a minute, Ted. Did you buy this off market or on market? Uh, off market through a family lead. Okay, so you bought it off market. You sounds like you were looking to wholesale it. That was the goal. Okay. Yeah. Sounds like you did more than a standard wholesale. Well, you know, I think we put about seven thousand into into it. So it wasn't. Okay. We really didn't go above and beyond. But like I said, the house is in really good shape, and it was in a nice part of town. So I didn't think that we were going to have to do all that. So after the negative feedback I was getting, and not getting the the people looking at that I initially looked at, plus. Um, you have to hold a, uh, FHA, uh, you know, if, if you want to sell this on FHA, which is really popular right now, you got to have hold that for 90 days before it can be sold FHA. And the, the turn was so quick that wasn't on the table. Right. So did you just do cash and conventional only in VA? Okay. Uh, and because it would pass VA and, uh, so we we're, the people are looking at it, we're more interested in it for that reason. So then we dumped another about 5,000 into it over the weekend. And so we re- uh, did a little redo of the wood floors. Uh, we re- replaced the vinyl floor in, in the bathroom. And then there was uh, the main bathroom had a blue sink, blue kitchen, blue to- uh, toilet. And so uh, we went and replaced all those items too. And uh, uh, did a little bit of paint and fixed a couple. Or, and then like the laundry room and the master closet had wallpaper still in it. So we just went ahead and fixed all that while we're at it. And so it looks – now it looks like a full flip house. Okay. And, and, uh, but you know, it's cutting into our profits. And of course, every month that we hold on to it, you know, we're, between all the holding costs and hard money, you know, we're spending close to $4,000 on this. So if, if, you know, we really need to sell this quick, if it doesn't sell in the next week, we're going to move forward with refinancing as a rental house. 
Hmm. You know, because uh, we can get about 2,200 rent on this place okay. uh, as, as it sits. But if I keep on holding it and don't sell it, then it's not going to make sense. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to actually, when I leave here, I'm going to go ahead and talk to the bank, start that process and that, in those conversations right now. So that, uh, it, and then kind of like, Hey, you know what, if it sells before it closes, great. But if it doesn't, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna already have this motion started and I'm not sitting here. I'm like two months into it. I'm like, Oh, I better start doing it. And I'm holding it for another 30 days waiting for the refi. Mm-hmm. So that, that's kind of what we're looking at right now. Got it. Cool. But how much are you going to make on this flip if it sells today? If it sold today, we'd walk out roughly about twenty k. Okay. And then what was the price point on the purchase? Bought it for one eighty. All right. And it's listed for two thirty. Okay. And you put sounds like twelve plus carrying costs, so you're going to be all in at like eighteen. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So twenty k into it. Let's call it. Uh, bought it for one eighty, so you're in for two hundred. Sell for two thirty. Got commissions. Mm-hmm. Back those out. You're at yeah twenty grand. Yeah. yeah. So okay. All right. Yeah, and and it's a solid house and it's the right part of town and it's a, you know, it's a 19 1969 build. So you'll end up with roughly about a 10% profit margin on that. It sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. I want to be a little bit higher, but you know, th- this is I've never done a flip. Mm-hmm. So it's the first time I've ever gone at it. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah. What do you think? Uh you know, it's a it's a little I think it's a little stressful doing doing the flips, you know. You're waiting for it to sell, you want and and you know, I Hindsight, I if I would have pushed harder, I could have done. I could have uh, bought this through the seller mm-hmm. and and had them carry the note during the sale process because I was you know as a realtor I was very open with all the options I gave them, being a partner with them, being their listing agent, you know. But if I would if I would have paid them, I probably could have had less costs with paying them to hold it. And I could have been an FHA uh, property, which it would 100% sold as an FHA property. It would already be under contract. Okay. So there, there's definitely some learning lessons there and things I could have done better. Are you going to do it again? Yes. Uh, but, I, you know, uh, you just got to knock out that first one and understand it. And, and I'm like, oh, there's different ways I could have thought about this. Even though we're interviewing all these people and all this stuff goes. But, you know, when, once you get your hands in it, that's when you actually learn the lessons, right? Mm-hmm. So... Cool. Well, congrats. Thanks, man. Congrats on wrapping it up. I'm sure you'll get it sold. Yeah. Just a matter of time. And if you only make five grand on it, guess what? You, not- you, you got a $5,000 bonus for learning how to flip something. There we go. Right? If I was going to make less than 10 grand, uh, then it would just make sense to hold it. Yeah. Well, you shouldn't have done it if you would have made less than 10 grand, even if it's just equity. That's yeah. my opinion. But yeah, 15% is typically the industry norm and, uh, and flip margin, depending on how, on your price point. So you can't operate on a, on a percentage. And that's why I have a lot of wholesalers that call me new ones. And I know you do too. And they're always like, what's your, you know, what percent do you buy at for blah, blah, blah. And they, they have like, they're coached to always ask what, you, you know, a formula for it. And I don't do that. Like I don't go off of percentages. I just go off of, of profit, like not a percentage. I'm like, I want to make 20 grand or mm-hmm. 30 grand or 40 grand, depending on the price point of the sale. And how long it's going to take me, and how long, how how heavy of a lift is the project? Mm-hmm. Is it going to be like a full cosmetic rehab plus I'm going to have to do like roof and mechanicals? Like I'm, I got to make more money on that. So mm-hmm. I'm going to look for like if you had to, if you had to assign a percentage to it, I want to make like twenty to twenty five percent of the end sale price of that property for my profit. And 
it's you know those are deals are harder to find but like if you're going to hold something for a long time uh ten, like and yours was a quick flip so mm-hmm. i get that like if i'm going to hold something and it's going to turn fast and i know i'm not going to have to do much work to it my whole time is going to be like two months then i'm fine taking a lesser profit margin if i know it's going to sell sell but if it's like a heavy lift and it's either a a questionable area or b maybe it's in a good area but it's going to be a long time like i'm going to take like 4 to 6 months to finish the rehab and it's going to be like a high price point i got to have a lot of buffer in there and know that i'm going to make a good chunk of money uh that i can take some punches like yeah. on on contracts falling through or people's financing falling through or people are like bitching about finishes or whatever. You know, I've got a, a high priced flip right now on the market that we listed for six seventy to start with. We just reduced it again to six fifty. So we're dropping it at ten grand at a time. Now we bought it for four fifty and but we put almost a hundred into it. So we've got a lot more runway, but you know, when you reduce these big price tags, they're usually in big chunks. Mm-hmm. And people are a lot more picky if they're going to shell out six hundred grand for a house than they are one hundred fifty thousand dollars or whatever it is, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So. And, and when you're at those high price points, you got to make sure that it's high end too. Because I I was talking to somebody locally that has a uh, somebody we know, but I won't name drop here. But they they had a high end house that they did, and uh, you know they went into it with the intentions to do high end rehab, but then they did, didn't have the resources, yeah. or the people wise to get it done. Well, it's got this nasty redwood everywhere. And it's turning everybody off. Well, mm-hmm. the realtor, which was on my team, was you know like, hey, this needs to be white. We need to do this, this, and this. Otherwise, it's not going to sell. And now they've dropped dropped that price. I think almost eighty thousand dollars. But keep on, you know. But the realtor uh, is like, please make these changes because it isn't going to sell because it isn't fitting the market for that price point. Mm-hmm. And if you don't make it high end, it doesn't matter. There's properties that are at less uh, less properties, like less quality and. In the area, but they but they have the the nicer finishes and trims that are appealing to people that want more modern stuff. Yeah, yeah. I had uh, this this week. Um, well, it was actually last week, but this marks the first L that I've taken in probably about six years oh. um, in in the market. Meaning, I lost money on a deal, and it's been a long time. I'm so, talking hundreds of transactions. Was this your failing forward? Uh, <laughs> well, I didn't know we did those in the intro. We don't, but I just didn't, I didn't know if you had a, if this is a failing forward for you. Uh, yeah, actually it is. And here's um here's today's golden, golden nugget. nugget. And this golden nugget is brought to you by JM Real Estate Capital. Hi, it's Rob JM Real Estate Capital. We're the money guys that you need to know for all your real estate investments. Talk to us. We can do what your local bank can't or won't do. We don't have millions. We have trillions with a T to lend. 844-WE-CLOSE or go online at jmrecapital.com. That's jmrecapital.com. JM Real Estate Capital, smart solutions for the real estate investor. I see how I did that. Yeah, I like a little flip-flop. Yeah. So today's golden nugget, uh, especially if you are reasonably new into this game, stay in your lane and don't chase other shiny objects, deal types, asset types, you know, like learn what you're going to learn and get good at it before you start layering on other things. Now, I've been doing this a long time. I've been involved in other asset classes than residential within real estate, but I bought I took a flyer uh last year and this this is how long ago this was. Last year bought a 12 unit 
property in Plattsmouth, Nebraska, which is not an area that I buy in typically. We buy in. Oh, I know this property. Yeah, it's like 45 minutes from here, and the drive sucks balls. Like, you got to drive. I mean, it's the longest 45-minute drive you've ever seen in your life. Seriously. I, like, I, I don't know why. But they but, have a great jerky place down there if you like beef okay. jerky. <laughs> All right. Well, if you got to resort to that to get there, it's not a great place. I, I don't like the drive. I, I cannot stand going down there. It just seems like it takes forever. And I went in it, and it was a crappy uh, twelve-unit property. Got it for what I thought was a killer price from another investor who was doing exactly what we're doing on this, which is trying to get dump the thing. Yeah. And so we bought it for I think two eighty-five for a twelve-plex, right? And didn't plan on doing anything to it. I was just gonna like I got an off-market lead, closed the deal because we had cash. Felt like I got a really good price on it put it out to market, just, you know, started telling other people about it that I knew that bought that kind of thing. Market changed a lot of, you know, different interest rate risk and introduced in there. stuff slowed down. Um, you know, they're not easy to flip like Mm -hmm. multifamilies in general, but especially a 12 unit deal where somebody's going to have to get commercial financing. It's just a different game. You don't have a, an owner occupant that's going to be your potential buyer. So my point on this is, I got out over my skis on a decision I made and I thought, oh, I'm smart. The market's going to, you know, I mean, like stuff's moving. I'll just do the bare minimum and like not even the bare minimum. And I'm just going to tell people about this. We'll wholetail it. And then guess what? It sat. We had to reduce. We had to reduce again. People started breaking in because they know it's vacant. So windows got broken out. Door got broken into. It started raining inside the place. It get, It's just getting worse and worse. Like it's deteriorating before your eyes. And so we just had to reduce it to the point where uh, we weren't not only were we not making any money on it if we sold it, but we were taking a loss and we were dealing with like the police were calling because people are breaking in. They're wanting to know if we're going to file police reports and then an insurance company's wondering what's going on. Like, it's just I'm like, why did I decide to do that? I really did a postmortem on this and and like and it's all my fault. Like it has nothing to do with Brandon, my partner. He, you know, we're in 50-50, but he never he's never even seen the place. Mm-hmm. Like I went down, it was my my conversation with the uh, sellers that we bought it from. I went and saw it. I walked through it. I took the pictures. I was like, oh yeah, no problem. We can sell this. Nope. 40K is probably what we're gonna end up when the blood, you know, stops coming out of us. So it's under it's under contract now? It's sold. Okay. It's done. Okay. Yeah. So I haven't tallied everything yet, but like it's it, you know, it it's a you know, it's a right cross to the job. <laughs> like it was it was not fun. Um I'm glad it sold. I'm I was a definite don't want her there by the end. But that was the first loss in a long time. Now you had to sit back and look at it and like, why don't we just fix it up and keep it and make it a rental? Is it the because it was that drive or is there a specific reason why you wouldn't just move forward with it? Yes, the drive and the fact that it was going to be probably a, well, let's call it three hundred fifty to four hundred thousand dollar rehab. Mm-hmm. I don't have time to do that. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to manage that. And it's in a location I don't want, an asset class and a heavy lift that I don't want. If I'm going to buy a multifamily, I sure as hell don't want to rebuild the entire thing unless it's a hotel. Then I will call me. Um, but yeah, I just I I just didn't want anything to do with it. And we actually had talked like, you know, Brandon and I had talked to Chris and Colin, maybe we just do a redevelopment on it. And then the parking situation wasn't great. Like it was just one of those things you you're just du- I was dumb for buying it, although at the time it made sense in my head. Mm-hmm. But now I'm just like, what were you doing, idiot? 
<laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm, my point on this is like, don't be embarrassed about your losses. Like they happen to everybody. I've been doing this so like for so long, hundreds of transactions, and I took a big loss mm-hmm. just because I did not do enough due diligence. I took a flyer on something that was outside of my uh, normal operating procedure with this business. And uh, yeah, I got caught. So um, lesson learned. You know, I haven't done tr- hundreds of transactions for myself, but I've done hundreds of transactions for other people sure. investing. And uh, and I'm going to knock on the wood, wood here, but I have not given a client a loss yet. Yeah, that's and, awesome. But it, it is the biggest fear I have. You'd be the person representing somebody and then provide a property it doesn't make sense for them. Yeah, I think here's the, here's the deal, though, on that. This is my, my take. The people that blame other people for their losses on their stuff are probably not the people you want to, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying your people would do that, but like, you got to look yourself in the mirror. Like I would never blame you as an, as my agent, unless mm-hmm. you really like convinced me or, or lied know, or lied. Yeah. Or, or misrepresented. Like yeah. I, it's my decision. Like I decided to buy that thing. Nobody else did. I can't mm-hmm. blame the seller of it. I can't blame anybody else other than me. I'm like, yep, that's on me. That sucks. I love how you took ownership of that. Yeah. It, uh, but, and I, you know, in the next intro, I'll tell you, uh, like the, that was the Valley I've got, uh, well as yeah, Hills valleys is a hill, a good thing. I don't, I feel like a hill's not a great thing. <laughs> valleys aren't, I guess in this analogy, I don't know. Help me here. What do you say? So valleys are like the, the down valleys are the down part yeah, hills yeah. like, but I don't like climbing hills. Yeah, Who likes not, climbing hills? We're not talking about the hill. We're talking about the peak. So oh, the peak. Okay. So I'm on top of the hill. All peak, right. So peak, next week when I give you, the, when I give you, give you this intro the next week, it'll be a much happier story for, uh, for Owen and team. There you go. Oh, so. well, with that, let's get into today's podcast with Kim Stevens. I almost said Tony Brown. I know. Kim Stevens. <laughs> How many, what do you think the most takes we've ever had has been? Uh, probably six. Seven? I, I was going to say seven. It's going to be six or seven. Yeah. So <laughs> this is just a tour. <laughs> <laughs> and the first one was just fine. You just we got really, uh, your panties got in a bunch about it. I don't know what you mean by that. Kim Stevens, <laughs> welcome to the show. Thanks for having yeah, me. Long time coming. It's been uh, fun getting to know you over the years and with your many real estate transactions that you've done. But I want to ask you, you just dropped this on us right before uh, we started recording. Tell us about Belize. What the hell? Oh, my goodness. Okay. Now, one thing. All right. And we'll we'll dig more into this. But uh, so you, you've kind of self-described yourself as late to the party. Yes. Uh, what do you mean by that? And what are, what are we, what am I talking about here? Well, I don't know if I should back up this far, but in 2008, when the market crashed, everybody was buying properties and we lost all of our money and our assets. So being late to the party, um, we should have been buying properties. You know, I didn't know about seller financing, anything like that. We were just Mm -hmm. trying to dig out of a hole. So, While everybody has been buying all these rental properties, right, and building their portfolio, I'm 61, and we are just getting ready to buy our first rental property. So that's what I mean about late to the party. Which that is uh, fantastic. But, um, you know, most people kind of like stick in their neighborhood or places they know, and you chose another country. Uh, What? Why? Like, what? What's going on there? What? How'd you pick Belize, well, and why? Why is that going to be your first rental? Number one, 
it's not competitive like it is here, right? Okay. So we didn't have to fight like 50 different investors off to try to get a property. But number two, we just love going there. We fell in love with it. We did like three years of research before we ever went. And then we wanted to go and then COVID happened. We couldn't go. And then once we went, we just fell in love with it. And it was everything that we thought it would be. It was phenomenal. And so we just started looking. We knew we really wanted a place down there. Um, we knew that it would be a great, you know, rental income. There's a lot of expats going down there. So we just were kind of patient and waited for the right deal to come along and waited for the right terms because we did do seller financing on this one. Oh, wow. A lot okay. of people would not do that. So we just kind of were patient and waited for, you know, seller financing to come along and it happened, and we close on July 12th, God willing, as long as they can find our FedEx paperwork. It kind of got lost, and so now they're tracking it, it again. It's taken a long way <laughs> to Belize. Uh, all right, so July, closing on a property in Belize. God willing, July 12th. Yeah, yes. that's awesome. And is this a condo? Yes. Okay, so what is it? What is it? Two bed? Actually, it's one bed, one, one bed. bath. Okay. Very, very simple. Um, I had a friend that said, hey, send me to the the link because I want to market it for you, which I thought was very nice, but it needs some love. It needs a little bit of sprucing up, but, you know, pretty much paint, nothing huge, but uh, we want to just make it really pretty. And Now, I, I, okay, I'm really glad we're talking about this topic because I have long really for a long time i've really wanted to buy something in a different market where uh, we could use as a vacation rental uh, you know an owner use right. but also rent it out mm -hmm. and i've heard belize is amazing uh, i've listened to the real estate guys radio po uh, real estate guys radio podcast for years and they they always are pimping out belize as like a, a hot spot or a place to you know that's really good to to visit and buy in um what how do you handle a rehab from another country like, how does that work? Like, how would it, you know, let's say you need a kitchen remodel. What do you, how do you even approach that? That's at a all? great question. So we actually have a real estate agent down there. Okay. And uh, it things work differently in different countries. First of all, you don't have to have a real estate license in Belize. Anybody <laughs> can be a realtor, right? Wow. Yeah. But this gal that we have is actually from England, and she is wonderful. And the laws work a little bit different down there. So I just put it in her hands. I'm not going to pretend to know how the laws work down there when it comes to buying property. And she's very seasoned. A lot of expats have used her and they love her. So I just completely trust her. But not only that, her and her assistant, who is also amazing, um, they have spouses that are contractors. So they have the hookup for everything, and they will monitor it for us while we're here in the States. So it's just a matter of, I think, really finding a good agent down there and that can help you manage those contractors. What's an expat? Like They used to play for the Patriots. Yeah. Tom Brady. Oh, you're, you're, you're being serious. Tom like, Brady. Uh, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my God. He's an expat. Will you please explain to no, him? No. Like – People from the United States or Canada, something like that, they've moved down there. Yeah, so they call those expats. Mm -hmm. What's that stand for? Expatriate. Ex oh, okay. Like Tom Brady. One word. It's one word. Expatriate. Yes. <laughs> I, I didn't realize that, that it was called an expat. I've never heard that term. <laughs> That's so cute. Ted, um, I am so glad I could actually teach you something today. <laughs> Usually I'm always the one learning and I can't teach anything. Uh, 
this. Okay, so if I'm hearing you right, probably the best step one for somebody that is trying to do what you're talking about is maybe to reach out to a prominent local realtor in whatever market you're looking in. Yes. Or maybe they have a license, maybe they don't. Maybe they're not a realtor there. They're what do they call them? Just yeah, agents? Maybe they're a handyman. Who knows? Okay. No. The the cool thing is is right now I am with KW Elite, right? Mm-hmm. Well, guess who she's with? KW Belize. Oh, Isn't that's that cool. So yeah. cool. So it's like a the a franchise of a large uh, real estate agency might be present in another country that then yeah. would have branding you would recognize. Remax is really big over there okay. as well. So interesting. It's really cool. Yeah. Well, congratulations. That Thank is exciting. You. Yeah. Yes, hopefully it, it closes. I'll knock on wood here. Continuation. Hopefully it closes just fine. Are you getting a referral back to yourself? For Actually, being I am. Yeah. I was yeah. wondering. Yeah. So how much did you say you wanted a referral back for? A hundred percent. What? No, I'm just kidding. 25%. 25%. It's like you did some under table stuff then. <laughs> no, no. No, and actually she even offered it. She was the first one to offer the referral. She's very, very cool. So if anybody Can is Can you looking, explain what you're talking about to those that aren't that so, don't know? Oh, you don't get it. Realtor you know, lingo? No. You don't want a referral? I knew this was coming right so, back to me. <laughs> so, that didn't take long, karma. <laughs> now, then now I'm next. Um so when you're a real estate agent, you can collect a referral. Mm-hmm. So I am the buyer in this case, mm-hmm. but I am also an agent, so she can actually give me a referral for that. And so purchase. that's typically what the buyer's commission would be, like what, 2.4% in the U.S. anyway. It's probably different yeah, there. And, and, you know, I don't want to speak for sure, but I th- they do a lot of double siding down there, meaning they're the listing agent and the buyer's agent. And- Prices can be much lower in Belize sometimes in here. I think they charge maybe 8%, but that's 8% Belizean money, and it's a two-for-one exchange. So if something's $200 in Belize, it costs $100 in the U.S., which is another really great thing for buying in mm. Belize. It's a two-for-one exchange and English speaking. Hmm. I can't say enough about Belize. I love it. How much time do you think you'll spend down there? Well, right now, because I still work a lot... Um, maybe we'll go three times a year for a week. Um, the goal obviously is to someday semi-retire. I never say retire, retire, because what am I going to do? Yeah, it's boring. So boring. But I am, um, you know, I would like to go maybe for three months in a row and, and still try to do real estate from afar, ah, which you can do, cool. which you can do, you know, well, well, make, that, that is, that, Megan, that's amazing. Megan Ahern's proven that right now. She's, oh, she's doing long real distance estate, stuff. Yeah, she's doing real estate transactions in Lincoln, Nebraska, but she's living in Maui. Oh, poor thing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know. Poor, poor Megan. Well, that's that's uh, really cool. Congrats on your first deal yeah, or your yeah. first uh, rental deal. Right. So anybody that thinks I'm too old to do this, I'm going to punch you in the face because <laughs> I'm probably whenever we're in this real estate investor realm, I'm always the oldest person. Like, I don't know anybody. I can't think of anybody off the top of my head that's older than me, except my husband. <laughs> but no, really, well, but, I think I am the oldest one that goes to the RIAs and Bud, all of that. Bud's always at the RIA events. Bud, you have to keep coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, okay. So 2008, you mentioned uh, the B word, or I think you did. No? Maybe but, not. Bud? Bud, No. <laughs> Bankruptcy is what I thought. Is oh, that is yeah. that was that part of the deal? Yeah, uh, in there. And yeah. what? So what happened? Two thousand eight. Obviously, it was the end of the world for uh, a lot of people as in regard to business and and personal wealth. Mm-hmm. What happened there? What were you, I guess, involved in that you guys got wiped out? Um, 
Yep. So I always joke my husband had a business, Tim had a business, and when it was going great, I said it was our business, and then when it folded, I said it was his business. I'm like, that wasn't my business, that was his business. That's just a joke. But, you know, when you're in a partnership, it's it's both of yours, right? But uh, he had some partners, and that didn't go too well, and uh, we were doing well for a long time, thought that was going to be our retirement. Did you have like a hot tub business or uh -huh, something? and swimming pool. Okay. I thought yeah. I remembered that. It, for some reason, yeah. that was stuck in my head. But. Yeah. And it was going really good for a long time, and then the partners kind of went off grid. They started closing their stores, putting the debt on the Omaha store, and the way it was structured, they could do that. And, you know, just full disclosure here, um, one day the IRS comes knocking on the door. Ugh. I mean, it just was a series of events that happened very quickly, slowly and then very quickly, right? And uh, he's like, what do you mean I owe $180,000 in taxes? No, I don't. I'm sending that all up to the corporate store and they're paying it. And they're like, no, they're not. And uh, then we had the flooring guy come, um, the, the one that would finance the hot tubs. And he says, okay, I see 10 hot tubs. Where's your other 30? And he's like, what do you mean the other 30? This is all I have. And uh, he's like, no, I have, you know, it says you've got 30 other hot tubs, which – he didn't. So he was pretty much getting taken advantage of. Um, but you know what? When bad things happen, there's always something good. You, you just have to look for it sometimes. But anyway, so we had to sell our house. And well, first of all, no backup. We had a bunch of equity in our house. We took all of it out to try to save the our business. store. Right. Mm -hmm. And we went on for a little while and then we just couldn't go anymore. So we had a real estate agent come over. He's like, you need to sell your house. And you need to do a short sale. And I'm like, what's that? And he's like, well, you owe too much. So I'm going to have to negotiate with the bank. Well, nobody really knew what they were doing back in 2008. The bank certainly didn't, right? I mean, the banks were in big trouble too. So he started negotiating the short sale. And I didn't really even know about foreclosure. I wasn't an agent. I didn't really know what any of that meant. Oh, okay. So you weren't even in the no, business I was back not then. an agent. And so it came to the point, and it wasn't any fault of my agent, short sales just took so long because the banks were overwhelmed. So I just thought, if it's nobody cares about getting my household and preventing foreclosure more than me, I'm going to get my license. I was super motivated. I got it super quick, and I started negotiating my own short sale. And it was so funny because towards the end of this, the bank said, where's your real estate agent? Why isn't, you know, he calling? I'm like, because you've taken so long, I'm now licensed. That's how long you've been taken. <laughs> and I'd like to say I was super smart. And that's how I got it closed because I knew all the tricks. No, I cried. The, the, I remember it so vividly that last day, I was just crying and crying and crying. And I said, you've got to help me. I spent my full time job was calling that bank every day. And back then, you would have to be on the phone for like two hours. And then sometimes you get cut off. And then you'd have to call again. And then you'd have to be on hold again for two hours. It's so much better now. But back then 2008, that's how it was happening. So I finally just said, you've got to help me. I can't take this any longer. And I was crying. And they said, okay, we're going to get you the short sale approval today. And I thought, man, if I would have cried six months ago, <laughs> you know. But, hey, that's a good tip. That's, uh, that's, that's a good golden nugget so addition. That's how I got licensed. And I'm so that was huge adversity, right? 
But I am so grateful it happened because through that, then um, a gal named Jerry Schlickburn, everybody pretty much knows her on this podcast. She was in Arizona. She moved to Nebraska. She said, I'm looking for somebody to partner up with. And I said, I want to do it. And she's like, you're crazy. This is not fun. I'm like, no, I want to do it. So we ended up sitting at uh, Mike's house, Mike Schlickburn's uh, dining room table, and we just started knocking them out, knocking them out, knocking them out, um, just one right after another. And it was a lot of fun. And Mike would come home and sometimes and he'd hear Jerry and I talking to the banks and he'd be like, oh, my gosh. But the banks were nasty, too, back then. Mm -hmm. And I talked to a gal. Now, Now, when you say knocking them out, what do you mean? Closing them, just oh, okay, getting short okay. sales and then closing them, getting short sales and then closing them. Gotcha. How, yeah. how, how many were you working at a time? How many transactions? I think at- I remember about 35 to 50 at one time, and I thought I was going to lose my mind. So this is 15 years ago now, which that's insane to me right. that, it's, that it has been that long. But it, I would bet a ton of people listening to this don't even understand what a short sale is or how it works because we've had such a bull run in the market, right? right? This was normal back in 2008, 9, 10. Like when did you start seeing kind of like a, you know, a tapering off of short sales? 16. 16. Mm-hmm. So that we had a, what, what is that? A eight year run uh, where short sales were uh, hot and heavy, mm-hmm. a lot of foreclosures, a lot of REOs, yeah. um, stuff like that. That's, Maybe kind of trickling back in a little bit. I don't yes. know. What's it, it, are you seeing more activity now? Yeah, in short I've sales? only. I kind of look back to see how many short sales I've done this year, and I've only done six. And we're and we are doing one right now. That's as, right. as agents. That's together. right. Yeah, we're signing papers right before the podcast. Yes, I'm the listing agent. And Ted's <laughs> the buyer's agent on that one. Okay, how can a how can a, a real realtor that is knowledgeable about short sales work with an investor effectively like what advantage do you bring to the table knowing this process like you do well there's a couple really big things this is a question i get all the time from an agent if if i have a short sale what do you think the bank will take that's everybody wants to know right We've done a short sale together mm-hmm. where I was the listing agent and you had the, you were the buyer. Yes. Um, it took uh, over a year. Well, there was a reason for that, though. Not It wasn't the short sale. It was the... The lady? <laughs> yeah. We had a well, we, we can talk about this uh, a, a little bit more or that a little bit fun. later here. That yeah. was fun. <laughs> this um, is a good one. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about it. But... Really, the well, I think we should back up and kind of talk about what a short sale sure, is. Sure, let's do it. And I'm sure most people know, but just a real quick blurb is a short sale is where the homeowner owes more on the property than what they're going to get for it. Why would that be? Well, maybe it's in horrible condition, coupled with the fact that they haven't made a payment maybe for a year. Okay, because a lot of people say, well, why would there be a short sale now? There's been a great market. Why have I done six short sales this year in this great of market? Well, because, and now that's a whole nother topic, but during COVID, people weren't making payments, right? Mm -hmm. And the biggest misconception there is these homeowners thought, once the forbearance is lifted, I'll just pick right back up and start making payments. It's not how it works. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of them really got – they were misinformed. Yeah. 
So now all of a sudden they have twenty their twenty thousand dollars in arrears, and now how are they going to come current? You just can't start making your payment again. Well, sometimes they'll tack it on to the end if they're lucky. Yes, they'll tack it on to the end of the mortgage. Oftentimes, though, they're going to want them to remodify that loan. Well, if they had a three percent interest rate and now they're modifying it to six percent, that payment's going to go up significantly. Sure. And if you haven't been used to making a payment for two years, it's hard to <laughs> yeah, start making It's a rude house. awakening to get back. It into would be for anybody, right? Mm-hmm. So anyway, you're upside down on your mortgage, meaning you owe more than what you're going to get. And now you have to, we have to negotiate with the bank. So the beauty of a short sale is, is the deficiency is waived. The bank is not going to come back and pursue that person for the deficiency balance. So they literally walk away owing nothing. For round numbers here, let's say that $150,000 is owed on a house mm-hmm. and the house is only worth 100,000 yep. market value. Mm-hmm. So let's maybe use that as a baseline here. Okay. You're saying that if the bank agrees to sell the pro- agrees to you selling the property for 50 grand less than what is owed to them, they will not go after the seller of that property to make up the 50K that they're going to be writing off. Correct. Right? Now, what is the reassurance that that won't happen? There will be something called a short sale approval letter once it's approved. And in that approval letter, it will say something like, this will be reported to the credit bureau as satisfied in full for less than balance owed. Okay. The deficiency is waived. That's your proof. How, how does that affect your credit? Well, that's another good question because a lot of uh, sellers say, well, I don't want it to hurt my credit. How's it going to hurt you know, my credit? And I said, well, how many payments are you behind? And sometimes they'll say 18. I'm like, your credit's not your your, your credit is as trashed as you can possibly trash it. <laughs> yes. Like in our situation, our credit couldn't have gotten worse. You know? <laughs> and I remember back when we were trying to still save our house, I think our payment was like, 1700 a month and they were modifying it to 23 and I'm like are you crazy we can't afford 17 and haven't been making those payments how are we going to pay 2300 are you insane you know but I mean it can affect it a little bit yes but typically in a short sale they are already behind on payments so their credit isn't stellar to begin with but back to your question regarding you know an investor that's looking to get a short sale or whatever um it's really based on what the bank will take. That's true. Well, what will the bank take? They're going to base it off of an appraisal or a BPO called a broker price opinion. So the bank, and that depends on who the investor of the mortgage is, if it's an appraisal or a BPO. But uh, so how do you get it to where you need to buy it? You really have to have legitimate contractor repairs. You can't have a spreadsheet from a contractor that says, oh, trash out and all of that. The bank doesn't care. They are going to look at it specifically from an appraiser point of view. An appraiser is going to come out and say, it's in this condition and this is, you know, I'm, this is what the value is. And the bank really takes what the appraiser says for the gospel truth. So you've really got to make sure to have, like, if there's electrical, you need a licensed electrician to have those repairs. I don't know. Did you have repairs uh, on that house in Papillion? Did you have? I think you, I don't think you did. You just got dang lucky. <laughs> so maybe we maybe we could talk about this house. So this is one that I I think I mentioned this recently, right? No, this is a while back. This was what, a year ago. Year? Yeah. Okay. I mean, well, yeah. Yeah. I remember. I remember you bring this up. 
in Rhea Radio history, this was about uh, halfway through. So I think we... Let's see. So, Episode 50-ish. So we got a... Uh, we, meaning my uh, my business partner, Brandon, and I, so we have you know online marketing that we do. We had a lead that came in from a lady that was wanting to sell. I'm on the phone with her. She's uh, a pharmacist and had been relocated or got a different job in a smaller town in, in you know the sticks in Nebraska somewhere. Has a house in Papillion. Uh, says, yeah, uh, I'm out here wherever, whatever town it was. And my, my son and, uh, is in Omaha still, he can show you the house. And I'm like, oh, okay, that whatever, that's fine. So we, I'm like, all right, well, you know, we can come see it at whatever time. It doesn't matter. And we show up and this kid's like 16 and we, we walk in this house. And by the way, so you roll up to this house and, and it's like, uh, just I don't remember exactly what great the, the timing. Yeah, great neighborhood. Nice pa- looking house on the outside. Papillion is one of the most sought after uh, subdivisions around Omaha that there is. And a good school district, very desirable. Um, this is probably a $400,000 uh, multi-level house. Um, lot Like four bed, four or five bedrooms. I don't even remember, but... I couldn't, you could literally not see through the house because the trash was as high as your head. And I'm not even exaggerating at all. You're not. It Very true. They had only owned that house for four years. That was the flabbergasting part of this. They had literally never thrown anything away in four years. So there were, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. It was like, uh, it was one of the worst that I've, I've Order's ever seen. gone wild. Yeah. It was, it was trash gone, gone everywhere. And this kid... <laughs> Was it was really sad because you know he's showing me. At first, I was like, me and Brandon went through that house. We got done, and we're like, should we call CPS? You know, Child Protective Services, because this is like if we thought maybe he was living there, but it turned out that he wasn't. So we were like, okay, well, crisis averted. But I was like, oh my god, like th- like he is literally going to get like all kinds of diseases from living here. There's filthy I or, mean, or a really strong immune system. That's also true. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So it was like a Petri dish in that house, but it was super disgusting. Huge, huge house. I think it cost us almost $6,000 just to get that cleaned out. Oh, I believe just it. the trash. And that's, you probably got a good deal. <laughs> so I don't remember all the details on this. So maybe fact check me, but I think we, the house was worth about 400 after repairs. It probably needed, I don't know, like an $80,000 remodel. And I think we offered like 250. And yes. we, so we met, we found out she was way upside down. I think she owed maybe 300 or 350 or something like that. And we're like, well, there's no chance that we can buy this unless it's a short sale. So, hey, let's get in touch with Kim, you, and uh, maybe she can work us through, you know, work this through her magic and maybe we'll get a deal out of it eventually. So we look at it and make the offer. You handle all the stuff on the back end, whatever the black box is that you, you do with your magic. And then we find out, I don't even know how long, I mean, it was almost a year. Uh, that we ended up getting it. And we're like, what? I don't even remember the house. Well, I kind of did because it was so gross. But what did you do? So how did that work after that? Let's let's real world this. So an investor yeah. looks at something, they figure out, oh, there's no equity in this thing. There's no way I can buy it unless I take over the payments or there's a short sale. I mean, that's really it, right? Yeah. And so you get the call. Well, this is really interesting because she said, I am buying another house. Oh, yeah. I totally forgot about that. That's part. why it took so long. Yeah. And I'm like, there's no way I'm touching this with a 10 foot pole. I'm not going to do a short sale when you're buying it. I'm not doing it. Oh, because you would screw up her ability to well, close on another house or And a I felt like it was, 
you know, a strategic short sale, basically, which is technically a no-no. She was trying to game the system, basically. That's well, what your your thought was. She re- Yes, and she wasn't. But I said, you know, does your lender that you're getting this mortgage through know what you're doing? Yeah, he does. So I got with the lender. I have emails to prove it. And I'm like, this is what she's doing. We have no problem. And then I went back to her bank that she was doing the short sale through. I have emails. It was full disclosure because I did not want to touch it. And they're like, okay. I mean, I couldn't believe it. They didn't care. Now, back in 2008, anything went. It was kind of a free-for-all. I could see where they would maybe let that go by. But I was really surprised like a year ago that this would happen. So anyway, she had to close on this home before she we could start the short sale. And then I, I, I don't I just don't even understand how that that could work at all. Like should, I mean her I credit should have been just absolutely trashed. I, well, but she I don't think she was late. Oh, so she wasn't missing payments. Right. Okay, all right. Yeah, that that's this is all coming back to me now. Right. Glad and you remember more about my deal to, than I do. <laughs> and then I think she had to be 30 days late before we could start the short sale after she closed on the other house. That is something else that I just don't understand. You have to be delinquent in your mortgage payments to even even enter a conversation with a bank employee about a short sale, is well, that right? Okay. There are always exceptions. Mm-hmm. Like VA, you don't have to be. Okay. Um, but most of the time you do. And I've seen military people that have not wanted to have their credit hurt. Maybe they didn't have a VA loan, but they haven't wanted their credit to be hurt. And I'm like, eh, chances are you're going to have to go 30 days delinquent. We don't want to do that. Let's try it first. You know, try the short sale without being delinquent. And they're like, he's not delinquent. So then we've restarted it after he's 30 days delinquent and they've approved the short sale. But there are instances. There's always instances, you know, where there's exceptions to the rule. I've, I've seen it. But normally, if anybody's going to do a short sale, they're late anyway. You know, she's got a place in Belize that she's locking down. Uh, you have you have a great show ahead of you. Trust me. That was an abrupt stop. Yes, you do well, have usually, a great you, show ahead of you, well, maybe people. That, maybe I, was, that, that, re- I was relaxing while you were talking. I let, thought you had a lot more in you. Let's just let's just start that over.